podcast i'm jason and i'm karen and this is the walking dead cast episode 300 Woo! big 300 oh i'm gonna keel over and die now <laughs> you don't look you don't look a day over 200 <laughs> <laughs> um lucy from scotland is actually guest hosting this week because karen's been doing every other one but i asked you to please come on just for a minute so we can commemorate our 300 so thanks for doing that I'm so happy to commemorate our 300th podcast. Yeah. It's a big deal. Yeah. So I was thinking about it. We've been doing this for just almost eight years. It'll be eight years in July. Wow. And uh, when we started, I think our main one of our main inspirations was Jay and Jack, yep. the Lost Podcast. Yep. They had only yep. been going about five years when we started. <laughs> wow. So we're going longer than they had. And Lost <laughs> itself had just ended two months before we started our podcast. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> feels it's like crazy. it's been forever since that yeah. show's on um but you know i was also thinking as much as uh, we keep saying you know oh walking dead's kind of repeating itself and it would be good for it to set an end date like lost did there was also i'm kind of happy that it's so successful and that it's gone on so long because it's just awesome to be doing a podcast yeah. for a successful show but also that means that it wasn't decided for us when this would end, at least not yet, that as the show goes on and we start to have more complaints about it, then it's up to us to decide whether we're going to keep doing the podcast or not. And so oh, far, yeah. we've kept deciding to keep doing it. Yeah, that's that is exactly right. Yeah, yeah. we thought, oh, you know, the show, if it's bad, it's going to go away and then we're going to go. Away. Right. And if it's good, but- it'll be like five years. And we keep going because it's fun. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I just wanted to talk. Yeah. I mean, just real short, but what what is, why do you keep doing it? So fun because <laughs> I get to talk to you and yeah. I get to talk to you about a goofy, fun topic <laughs> that we would talk about anyway. I right. mean, we used to and now we just do it and it's being recorded. I mean, this is just like, you know, the Jason and Karen conversations <laughs> that we would normally have. And it's it's great. Um I love that we get to engage with listeners, and I, I'm so honored that um, you've made this community, and I get to be part of it. It's that people listen. Awesome. I'm honored, yeah, yeah that people listen, because, uh, you know, our, we wouldn't be talking exactly this way. And as, as time <laughs> no. goes on, like, I put more into trying to make connections and be insightful and do research and... I wouldn't do that with you, Karen, but, um, but we would joke around like we do and we would just go, Oh, can you believe that? Or, you know, just talk about the stuff that was most, um, 
interesting to us or at this point in the walking dead we would probably be complaining about the same stuff that we complained about if we were still watching <laughs> we probably would yeah, that's, yeah. That's true. i mean me too that's my number one is that it's just fun to do yeah and, and me too it's just great to do it's fun to, to you know it's the it's the time of my week when i get to kind of you know i laugh my head off because mm-hmm. uh, you're funny and and we get to be dumb with each other and and then we get to you know and get to interact with listeners yeah and and, and they and the get two. their opinions yeah it's great man yeah i love it thank you guys for listening if it wasn't for you then um just talking to karen about the walking dead would be a lot easier because it would be less work but <laughs> it wouldn't be nearly as as fulfilling because not only is it fun to have uh to have all these listeners that write in and interact and make it so cool but also we've had a lot of awesome experiences because of the podcast yep that's number three for me i mean you name my top two it's fun just fun to do and it's great to have people who who like it and who listen and who interact with us but also like doing the walker stalkers and getting to talk to the actors and uh i don't know getting sent a pan from Mads in Denmark and yes, <laughs> you know, stuff yes. like that. Just what? I love my scan pan baby. <laughs> or, uh, the cookbook woman, Lauren, you know, yeah. sending me a cookbook. Yeah. So it's just uh, all, all in all, just such a great experience, which is why I decided to quit my job and do podcasting full time. So it's been a huge um, impact on my life and I'm thankful that Robert Kirkman decided to start his little comic book. thanks robert kirkman for starting your comic book (laughs) it's kind of why we're here yep (laughs) all right well that's it i just i just thought since it was our 300 that we should mark the occasion and so um yeah karen if it wasn't for you i wouldn't be doing all this stuff either so thank you for starting this with me and i'm so glad that you're still here and we're still doing it right back at you pal i completely agree all right everybody have a good episode and we haven't um, even seen it hopefully it's good no we haven't we're recording this uh before it airs on sunday yeah so um have fun enjoy the episode uh i'll be listening and uh i'll talk to y'all next week yep you'll be back next time all right bye 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 hon Shoppers, Deadcast Top 5 in 5, 4, 3, 2. All right, now we're transitioning into the Deadcast Top 5, and I'm here, as I mentioned, with Lucy. Hey, Lucy. Hey, Jason. Hey, Zedheads. Thanks for coming back. I'm glad to have you back. People seem to like you. You sound confused by that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's crazy. I was... People seem to like part of my strategy to annoy everyone, but it didn't work. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, Ah, I knew, I knew you're stuck with me now. (laughs) No, I'm actually secretly Karen. You just can't tell because I'm putting on an accent. Putting on the accent and a totally different voice. Yeah, that's exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) Just laugh at my jokes. I won't care.
<laughs> oh, then they'll know I'm definitely not Karen. <laughs> no, she gets complaints for laughing too much. It's ridiculous. <gasps> no, she has a beautiful laugh. Karen, you have an angel laugh. Don't five listen stars. to the haters. <laughs> five, five stars. <laughs> okay. This week, it's our top five highlights for season eight, episode 12, The Key. The Key. And um, I see that, or we'll get to it when we get to listener feedback, but people seem to love this episode. What did you think? So I didn't like it at all the first time I watched it. I was a bit meh about it. Yeah. I was also eating my lunch, which at some points was not a great decision when they were taking out the zombie guts and I was eating lasagna for any <laughs> listeners who wanted to know. Um, so that was fun. Um, but the second time and the additional time that I watched it, I actually found I liked it a lot more. I think there's quite a lot to think about in it. Yeah. Um, so I would say it's a teetering towards the high three and a halves for me. All right, let's get into our top five. What's your number five? So my number five um, is sex. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I start all my classes with um, medieval people like two things, sex and poo. And today's class is not going to be about poo. (laughs) Um, So that's my opening gambit. No, I wanted to talk a little bit about Negan in this episode. And the reason that I've classified that as sex is not actually to do with how Jeffrey Dean Morgan looks, although his hair was very good in this episode. It's actually about the kind of sexual language that he was using throughout the episode. And I've got this theory that what the writers are doing is they've taken comic book Negan and they've thought, we need to have a character who's perhaps a little bit more sympathetic than comic book Negan. So with Simon, they've got somebody who they can give a lot of the more objectionable Negan stuff to, the kind of more vicious side of him. And with show Negan, they've kind of got this strange sort of morally abstract figure who doesn't actually want to kill people and is a little bit soft. But what that means is when Negan gets things like this very visceral sexual language, it really jars for me. I can't I can't get into it. The way that he talks to Lucille, the way that he says things like, you're looking good, baby, and things like this, I find they really don't work on screen. And I feel really negative saying that, but right at the very start, um, in the pre-credit scenes, he's talking about the kind of things he's saying about how they're going to attack Hilltop. He talks about, you know, getting the knife and thrusting it in deep to the walker guts, wait until they feel just the tip of what we're bringing to them. It's very kind of sexually aggressive language, and I'm not not keen on it. I have to say, it left a bit of a sour taste in my mouth, and I think that that impacted the way I was looking at Negan this whole episode. So, yeah, I found that quite... I didn't enjoy that to cut a long story short um, so it's sex but it's not fun sex it's um, me being slightly grossed out by Negan's language there and the way that they've chosen to incorporate this aspect of his character with Lucille but it just isn't quite sitting right with me but mm. I don't know if that's just me being really picky or I mean did you find it as someone who's read the comics and watched the show what did you think? I noticed it I mean he totally fetishizes his bat and mm-hmm. he, yeah, you look beautiful, baby. And it's interesting because it's kind of like simultaneously a, um, what do you call it when something's like a penis? Uh, oh, phallic. Phallic. <laughs> phallic. <laughs> it's the word of the week. But it's also kind of a substitute for a lover. It's like anthropomorphized mm-hmm. as a female lover. But yeah, I mean, in the comic, Negan is very much vulgar and lots of sex talk somehow 
for most people who read the comic, it doesn't come off as quite, uh, it's always offensive, but it's more of in a funny way, at least for me in the comic and on the show. not. And I'm not sure they're trying to, um, I mean, if they're trying to make him likable, then they're failing because he's less likable in the show than he is in the comic. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I think they're trying to make him a more, um, well, at least the way Negan is when he first appears in the comic, he seems a little bit more uh, one note. They have definitely fleshed mm-hmm. out his character over time, but yeah. they're trying to make us understand his uh, why he does what he does and make him into a more full person. But yeah. then, yeah, I guess when they do that, then the stuff that's offensive just seems even more offensive, I guess. Yeah, or maybe it's just in the comics. It's because it's the comic book world. You're not you're not as attuned to the fact that wow, this guy's got some real yeah mental issues <laughs> when he's talking to his bat. You're like yeah. I mean, when you just see a real person on screen saying the words, it just comes mm. off differently. I mean, who knows? Maybe if a different actor, if they were coming out of a different actor's mouth, we might feel differently about them. Yeah. I think Jeffrey Dean Morgan is so good at playing the softer side of Negan. In fact, I enjoy his performance the most when he's playing the the real Negan, the mm-hmm. person who likes Carl, the person who, you know, has this sense of morality and this idea of this utopia that however fucked up it is, is his dream of a utopia. But those moments, they really just jarred with me and I yeah. couldn't quite put my finger on it. And I think it is just... There are some things that translate onto the screen and some things that don't. And I think his relationship with his bat and the way that he uses... I know his relationship with his bat is messed up. Um, But yeah, the way he was talking about the hilltop, you know, bring them to their knees. And there was a lot of kind of phallic talk in this episode. I mean, Simon was talking about his dick swinging in the wind. Like, I don't know. Yeah, he even said to Rick when our dicks crossed or something. Yeah. Negan said. And I, I mean, I do love the nickname Prick. That made me laugh. I, yeah. loved, I do think that's... Hey, Prick. Hey, Prick. <laughs> Quite enjoyed that. <laughs> but yeah, it just... it. I don't know. There were bits of it that... And I'm not... By no means am I a prudish person. Like, I absolutely yeah. love, like, disgusting humour as much as the next person. Possibly, you know, more. But... It just didn't quite sit with me, some of that. And yeah. I think that Negan was a big part of that for me. Especially, yeah, just the kind of very brutalized sexual imagery was a bit much, I think. So that's my kind of negative point there. <laughs> a lot of, uh, you know, how, whether or not you like something, a song, mm-hmm. a movie, is the emotional reaction you get from it. And emotions are just, you know, it's literally a feeling that you get. And yeah. so like sometimes if in an action movie, you just feel like amped up. Yes. And when you read what Negan says in the comic, it's like, oh, my God, you know. But when yeah. you see him, uh, Jeffrey D. Morgan saying these lines like, oh, what a dick. That's, yeah. how, that's <laughs> the feeling you get, you know. It's not necessarily that the writers are are messing up creating a believable character. No. I believe he's actually a total dickhead. Yeah, But it's completely. just not fun to hear over and over again and have that feeling of, Oh my god! I know, and it's <laughs> yeah. I can't I can't say enough. It's not the performance. Like Jeffrey Dean Morgan, I think is a really good choice for that role, and I think he plays it well. I just think there's something about that. I think we spoke a couple of weeks ago about like tonal disparity, like to yeah. it just tonally doesn't work. And for me, that was that was it. It just there was something about it that just didn't sit right with me. Um, mm-hmm. His interaction with Rick was quite interesting as well, because I think for the first time you see the power shift 
really happening there but I'm going to hold back on that because I get the feeling that might be one of your points so I'm going to zip it for now I liked when, uh, and a lot of people aren't going to agree with me, but a few episodes ago when he was talking with, he was stuck in the trailer or whatever with Gabriel, Mm -hmm. and he said that he rubbed one out right on that spot where you're sitting. (laughs) I laughed at that. (laughs) It reminded me of, I have a group of quite close friends who are basically like my brothers and it's the kind of thing they would say just to wind you up about something and I kind of liked that it was just revolting boy humor I was like oh no gross (laughs) yeah Uh, anyways okay my number five is some throwbacks I might just be reading into this I mean I know earlier on in this season they were doing a lot of intentional throwbacks to elements earlier in the series and in this episode I I was getting uh, just being reminded of earlier moments in the series and for some reason even though they've covered themselves in guts quite a few times over the years especially you know if you include fear mm-hmm. the walking dead uh when they were putting in them all over their weapons and you know slicing open the walker stomachs and everything it reminded me of that first time they did it with glenn and uh rick yes Maybe just because they spent so much time showing the guts, I don't know. Absolutely. I mean, that was some good gore as well. That was yeah. proper, like... Well done. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, my lasagna was not enjoyable, but the guts were great. Right. The only thing is, I wish when they were doing that, you really should be gagging, literally, and yeah. almost throwing up. And if if zombie guts actually don't smell, then why not? They should. Like, I, yeah. that's a stupid zombie, I think. Well, even if they didn't smell, they'll have whatever was in them when the person died in there. So you think they would. But I mean, they, they should they smell incredibly horrible. I mean, you always heard like in Day of the Dead, mm-hmm. Greg Nicotero was responsible for getting the pig guts, but somehow like oh. the electricity went out. And so the freezer was broken and they just rotted over a few days and then they had to actually use them in the scene and they were trying not to vomit while they were doing that scene, you know, and that's what I think zombies should be like. Random slice of life here for a short period in 2006, I lived on a pig farm in a cottage and it was quite a hot summer in Scotland and there were occasionally times where some dead pigs would be put, as I found out the farmer's spot for putting the dead pigs was right in the sight line of my bedroom window, which was not great and oh my god, the smell was disgusting Oh my god, oh my god Um, I know, it was like on the front you were like oh, piglets in the garden, yay, and in the back I was like, good god (laughs) but the smell was insane, like it smelled so bad and all I can think is like, maybe you get immune to it after a while, I don't know I guess, really, yeah, I mean it seems like if you're close enough, like, you know Negan has his bucket of guts in the front seat next to him oh God, that right. you would at least make a face or something yeah you would just be like la 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 this is nice yeah oh, hello hello uh, so <laughs> the next one during the car chase mm-hmm. bear mccreary's music had this sort of a twisted siren sound to it mm-hmm. and that reminded me of the cop car chase in the <gasps> first episode yeah. it just ricks past as a as a cop i felt like i i really had to like moment there of like this is this is rick grimes like this is the rick we met at the start this is like sheriff rick who drives and you know is (laughs) a capable human being in control of things yeah absolutely and then was rick whistling or was that negan it was rick right i 
don't in, know. I, I couldn't. I I thought I assumed Negan, but looking at the Me way too, that but... scene played out, I'm like maybe it was Rick because Rick was having a hell of a good time being the evil one in that yeah, situation. Yeah, I think that was a yes, a little bit of a flip there. He got the bad, and he was whistling, and it, it, the tables returned a little bit there. Absolutely. The last one when he flicks open his lighter that reminded me of the pilot too when he's first getting out of the hospital and goes into a darkened room and turns oh, on the shoot. lighter. Oh shoot, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I funnily enough, my number 4 was referencing back and I've got some other ones as oh, well. Cool. Um actually one just occurred to me when you mentioned the lighter. Um I had a note about the writing on the wall in the I don't know how to describe the place that they ended up having that. Yeah, it was like a basement or something. Yeah, there was some awesome writing on the wall saying things like, Abandon hope, all ye who enter here, was definitely one of them. Um, Stay out. And then there was a thing about the basement as well. So it reminded me of um, Don't Dead Open Inside from the first episode. And I think one said Eaters. Eaters, that was a brilliant... Yeah, yeah, Eaters was a good one. The first time I watched it, I don't know if this is a Game of Thrones and um, Walking Dead thing, some of the scenes are so bloody dark that you actually, if you're watching it on a small screen, you just can't see like what the hell is going on. So I didn't actually get a lot of the fight scene the first time around. Thankfully, when it got dark and I could watch it on the TV, it improved uh, immeasurably. Still pretty dark. but It yeah. was still pretty dark. Like When the Lucille went on fire, I was like, oh, thank God, we can see things yeah. now. <laughs> Um, so the other references back, um, Glenn and Abe's graves kind of led to a little bit of thinking about Glenn and Abraham, mm-hmm. which was carried on when Maggie and Rosita were on the the wall at Hilltop talking about, you know, how do you get through it? Do you get through it? Do you get over it? Do you come back? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And Michonne talking about, actually, I really wanted to ask you about this. Michonne talking about the last time everything changed. Was she talking about the decision to go to Alexandria? That's what I thought. Yeah, and I thought it was nice to reference back to that because that was a turning point, I think, for the show and for the group. And I think to have that brought up was a really, like, nice thing to do. So, yeah, referencing back was was a huge part of this episode, I think. And, yeah, I think it worked. I think it paid off. There was a lot there. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, last time we took a chance like this, it changed everything. So let's uh, try to get all these new people killed too, like we do everywhere we go. Yeah. <laughs> Where's Prick? <laughs> yeah, come on, Rick. We got some show to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. So my number four is Georgie. That's her name, right? Yeah. New woman and how, how they react to her. Um, first off, Maggie was looking through her binoculars and what did she see? Did she see... I thought she saw the van or was it the crate or what? It was, I think, an empty crate that would have had the note in it saying, okay. like, fill me up with records or food. That's what I right. thought it was. But I did wonder how somebody managed to sneak up, put it there and then leave yeah. with nobody noticing. But they were wearing camouflage, so maybe. Yeah. And it says, yeah, fill it with food or phonograph records. I will gladly exchange them for a key to your future, which made me wonder... If they're asking for food, why did they then offer food later? Yeah, I wondered that as well. I think it's, I wonder if it's like a personality test almost, or mm-hmm. the idea is that they have enough that any more would be a bonus. 
So right. records are good too. They can too. always use more, but now I can see that you need yeah. more than you do, So here's some of ours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so anyway, they decide to go. And I thought, oh, that's dumb <laughs> to go <laughs> be drawn out by a stranger, have three of your best people. Yep. Yep. Uh, and go. two of your best people and Enid. <laughs> and Enid, yeah. Who was it? It was Maggie, uh, Michonne, and Rosita Enid. Rosita and Enid. Oh, Rosita, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. But um, then they go and they meet up with Georgie and her two friends, Hilda and Midge. Mm-hmm. And Rosita got the drop on them. And I kind of liked that, that uh, they didn't just go. They they went with a plan to kind of take charge of the yeah. situation. And I, I think I've heard that in historical times, like maybe medieval times, where it's mostly lawless, that if you meet someone on the road, there's a good chance there's going to be violence or just that you can't trust anyone. So I feel like that's what it's like now. If you, you need to be prepared to fight. Yeah. Well, I mean, times. yeah, there's loads of kind of problems that come up with with that sort of reversion back to, to times pre telecommunications and things is you know you don't know if someone comes in and says I am this person I am king so and so you don't know they actually are who they say they are because you don't know what they're supposed to look like and yeah bumping into Mm -hmm. strangers on the road is hugely problematic and and scary and yeah if you're both on edge as people would have been at that point uh, there is a good chance it'll end in violence Um, yeah for sure yeah and so as much as I so far have been saying I thought it was dumb of them to go and I thought it was good of them to take charge of the situation then everything that Georgie said uh, offering plans to windmills watermills silos hand-drawn schematics all that uh, and just that you know she's trying to share her knowledge with good people and that Mm -hmm. you know they need to build a sustainable future and what else should I do with my time and and also saying that what they have is special and unusual all of that I I don't know if we I can trust this woman but I want to because I love everything that she's saying I had a couple of things about Georgie I completely Mm -hmm. agree with you (laughs) I did write down oh look Ellen DeGeneres when she got out of the car (laughs) because <laughs> it's a very similar like, outfit so, but yeah. Ellen's awesome I mean you would want Ellen in the apocalypse like to she would keep out. things exciting they should have gotten her yeah oh my can you imagine that would <laughs> be so crazy? cool <laughs> oh, hey, that would everybody. be dream casting um, yeah I think first viewing I really didn't have much time for it but then as I came back to it I was like actually I, I do kind of like this um, I like what they did I really liked the way that they used this kind of manuscript slash book of ideas because I've often thought in the zombie apocalypse like what would you do because I mean who knows how to make basic things anymore I mean some people Mm -hmm. do but it's definitely not the norm you know libraries would become invaluable because they would have books telling you how to do these things so I think actually what I liked about Georgie is I finally realised that I might not die straight away in the zombie apocalypse and I could just go around in a van handing out knowledge to people and trading it for food so that was good for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know, when when Daryl was talking about how he thinks about who's left and who's gone and, and that mm-hmm. it isn't fair, and this was before Georgie came into the episode, I just started thinking, man, at this point, they really should be making their best effort to try to fortify themselves and set up systems for survival 
to yeah. do whatever it takes to stop all the killing and the dying and, and stabilize things. And then in comes this woman who does seem a bit like, uh, I don't know if she, she fits into this show with her suit and everything, but anyway, she's talking about how to make a sustainable future. So yeah. I think that is, is an attractive idea. I mean, I don't know about dramatically, but just for where they are and what they've gone through. She makes some really good points as well. She says, um, I liked her dialogue quite a lot. She talks about the best and worst of society. Lately, mm-hmm. the worst has been outpacing the best. And I think that's really true. I think she's she's making the point there that it's maybe not survival of the fittest so much as survival of the worst at the moment and that she's trying <laughs> to encourage the other bits to thrive. And I like that she said, I can divine that you are a fine group, manners notwithstanding. It reminded <laughs> me a lot of when Aaron appears to Maggie and Sasha Um at that point in season five. I did write down at one point, I just went abstract and was like, is Georgie God? (laughs) It's like, (laughs) is this God emerging from a van, giving them the way forward? Sacred book. Yeah, divining knowledge. I was like, maybe. And then I was like, no, that would, I mean, that would be strange. I mean, the garbage people are one thing. God coming out of a van like that would probably be even stranger. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I thought it was it was interesting. Um, did you? How did you find the humor? Did you think the humor landed? When um, Georgie said, "I know trust probably sounds like a made up word now, like Fliberty Sticky," and yeah. then Hildy or Midge said, "Or Klomp," and then the other one said, "Or Moisture." Yeah. Um, that was cute. Uh, I, what what that made me think is, oh, it seems like they're trying to give these guys quirky personalities, which means that I think maybe they'll be around as characters for a little bit. Yeah. Otherwise, they might not bother with that because it was a little weird. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. It was, it was a bit kind of, I was like, oh, I feel like I've been caught off guard. Like, I would usually yeah. like this, but now I'm like, huh, what? Um, yeah, no, I thought Georgie was... Georgie was interesting for sure and unexpected at this point in the season Mm -hmm. I think as well to have that and do you think they're connected to the actually I feel like I should apologize um for the last time I was on when uh Jason and I had a discussion about whether or not there had been a helicopter (laughs) recently in the season and it turned out there'd been one like two or three episodes ago that we just completely blanked on ah that's right with it Rick's yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) I was like oh yeah. yeah there was do you think I wonder with Georgie I sort of feel like I did with the garbage people in that, to me, on the surface, it looks like Georgie is a nomadic person who travels around in this van with her two assistants, giving out knowledge and doing this kind of barter lifestyle. Another part of me thinks, is Georgie representative of a bigger community? And that's Mm. what the helicopter was indicating, because the two seem to kind of point to a bigger picture a bigger world but i i don't know and i wonder if that's it from georgie for now and she's going to come back later she says she's coming back later yeah yeah um i i don't know the helicopter i thought they were trying to address that when simon asked um jadis about the helipad that maybe they oh, of were course trying yeah to imply that it was the scavengers but i don't know but uh i think yeah my guess would be that Georgie is part of a larger community and going out and trying to groom other communities to be a part of a larger society. I also think there's a pretty decent chance that she's totally evil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, on this show. 
Anytime yeah. there's hope involved, it usually gets crushed. Yeah, I was going to say, either that or she's just going to drive straight into that saviour roadblock. Because I don't think anyone warned her, like, don't go that way. There's an armed garrison of people coming to kill us all. <laughs> I just don't think that it would make too much sense for her to be completely nomadic. Because I think if she's taken the time to upgrade and update this book, that it probably means that she's had some practice with it. Yeah. And seen it at work. Yeah, it's quite, it's it's interesting. Um, we talk a little bit about it in Comic Talk because there's been a lot of speculation about who she might be. Sure. And yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it's pe- it's it piqued is. my interest for the time being, I think. Because yeah. I want, I don't want to know, I, I want to be surprised. And yeah. this was a surprise. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, what's your number? Oh, by the way, she was played by Jane Atkinson, who I've seen in House of Cards and liked her on that. She's good on there. I've, you know, I've still never watched House of Cards. I've heard so many good things and I have not watched it. But I've, yeah, I've heard that she's very good in it as well. Yeah. I mean, the show itself is a little bit, feels like a guilty pleasure sometimes, mm-hmm. but it's it's good. It's good. I'm assuming as well, if she's that kind of known of a name, then maybe, you know, maybe that is someone that is going to be hanging around for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so number three kind of follows on from that one actually um i've got just written down words because there were some cracking words in this episode um i really think that simon and eugene went to school together because they both talk in the absolute same bonkers long-winded way that is quite entertaining to listen to but impossible to kind of replicate with the way you normally talk (laughs) um (laughs) It wasn't just Simon's amazing words, although I did have a lot of time for him um, in the final scene where he talked about getting rid of the hilltop. He talked about expunging, redacting and erasing them. (laughs) And I was like, like this man's got a thesaurus. I like it. (laughs) Then I've written, I would like Simon to come and help me with my crossword because he seems to know words for everything. I think his kind of use of language is really interesting because he's someone who manipulates quite a lot through his language. The way he was talking mm-hmm. to Dwight, compared to how Negan spoke to Dwight was quite interesting because Negan treated Dwight almost like his favourite dog had come home. He was like, oh, you came back, here's your beer, well done, see you outside kind of thing. Whereas Simon tries to talk to him like an equal and uses yeah. these kind of political... Well, they are yeah, the same level in the organisation. Yeah. Exactly. And Dwight's a guy who keeps cards close to his chest, so Simon treats him with just a little bit more respect in the way that he he speaks generally with him. There was, two, there was another parallel that was quite interesting. Uh, Georgie's two henchwomen, uh, one of them referred to what Georgie was doing as an act of benevolence. And in the scene just before, they had referred to Negan as a benefactor. And it was quite interesting, those two words alongside each other, because in Negan's case, benefactor isn't really an accurate word. I also like, I mean, you're right that they both use big words, Mm. uh, Simon and Eugene, but they have different styles. Eugene kind of plows through his. And Simon has a really staccato way of just hitting those words like that. (laughs) I'm just going to extemporaneously talk about it. I'm like, geez, okay. (laughs) So to have benefactor and benevolence, these kind of words, I thought it was great. And I really, I like that about Simon is that he's not a kind of stupid backup henchmen in fact i I, I don't think negan realizes how smart the men around him are i think he treats them like grunt workers when actually there's more to them than that and i think that's going to be a big part of the downfall and what comes next 
It is. I mean, I think I think he appreciates them. You know, mm-hmm. he let Eugene rise to a pretty high level very quickly because he recognized that he was an intelligent guy and could be of help to him. But he's just overconfident at how loyal they're going to be to him. Yeah, I loved the, you know? the way the music played when he came in to see Dwight. It, it, it had me on the edge of my seat. But the way that he speaks to Dwight, as I say, it's just like someone with their pet. I don't think he thinks Dwight... I think he thinks he's effectively neutered Dwight, like Dwight's never going to do anything like that. And that's quite interesting. I know. After what he did to him. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's very strange. But um, yeah, that was my number three. I mean, that's his downfall. He kind of has a good idea. He wants to keep everyone alive. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'll just make this my number... uh, What were we on? Three. Number three. Yeah. (laughs) Is... uh, the philosophies and methods that different people and groups have of long-term survival in the, in the uh, zombie apocalypse and Negan, you know, he mentions, I saved everyone at sanctuary outpost, hilltop kingdom. All those people were doing just fine before Rick Grimes. (laughs) And I'm like, well, he kind of has a point there. Um, And uh, Rick, then mentions what happened to the scavengers. I loved that. Because, oh, that was brilliant. Yeah, that and Negan's like, huh? And that that actually made me kind of feel for Negan because he's like, mm-hmm. I, I just got a hit of, damn it, I'm trying to keep these people alive. And yes. Simon fucked it up, you know? Yes. So that made me just really get in c- contact with the part of Negan that is trying to keep everyone alive. Yeah. But Simon is right about one thing that Negan's way won't work with rick he says they don't scare yeah they don't scare we've thrown a lot at them and and rick says later to negan um what you have it's not going to last sooner or later you're going to meet someone like me you can't save me or my people or even yours you can't save anyone because you don't care about anyone you use people to bring food to sleep with you to protect you um, yeah. Yeah. That's Negan's problem is he does have this side of him that wants to save everyone, but it's undermined by his narcissism and mm-hmm. his basic assholery. Yeah. He's just, <laughs> you know? and we've, we've worked with people like that, haven't we? We've all worked with people like that who think mm-hmm. that their way is the absolute best way and they're just and incapable. They're about it. Yeah. They're incapable yeah. of seeing that it's not or listening to any kind of input about it. And that's, that is, ultimately a quite or big just feeling being assholes about it i yeah. mean i mean i guess you know you could say well there are people who have ruled by uh fear and it's the whole uh emperor palpatine thing but in real life the way it plays out sometimes is people do stay in power for a long time so maybe negan would be fine but just watching it on the show i'm like no man if you're gonna go in and just put your heel down on people especially in this world of lawlessness you're going to get some pushback at some point or another yeah. I, I think you um it's not sustainable am i right in thinking you've not seen the fast and the furious films no there is I, a I'm point to this there is a point to this yeah in uh, fast eight fate of the furious uh good mm-hmm. film if anyone's not seen it uh there they make a point about that if you put your foot down on someone's neck i think it's a lion or a tiger that it's going to come back and bite you you can only hold it for so long yeah and obviously the fast and the furious was on my mind as i tried to come up with puns for the name of this episode so i got um too Fast, Too Furious, uh, Hilltop Drift. That was a good one. I also got <laughs> Mad Max, Walker Road. Um, and then I kind of ran out of 
ran out of some steam there. <laughs> so any suggestions? Uh, gratefully received. <laughs> <laughs> Mad Max, one of my favorite movies of recent years. And yeah, it was similar with that guy. Yeah. He was an asshole with a harem. Yep, I was <laughs> asshole with a harem. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what else? Well, we have... Maggie and Enid and possibly Rick, but I was I was really ashamed of Maggie and Enid for advocating taking these people's stuff. Yeah. Because at that point they are probably I was gonna say no worse or no better than Negan, but they're even worse because Negan wants to keep people alive and or at least some people, and they're just saying things don't just work out you basically have to fight and protect yours and just fuck everybody else and so let's just kill them and take their stuff well that's evil yes yes i think <laughs> there was an interesting thing this episode where the characters even admitted that <laughs> it's impossible to interpret what the morality of the walking dead is at the moment because enid says herself when she's talking to michonne um i killed natanya um, they were going to kill anyone who got in their way and we got in their way so I killed her and I'm alive and Carl helped someone and he's dead and she seems there to be pointing out the, the total futility of both she's like how does that make sense and I think what Maggie and Enid are doing is they're in survival mode I don't I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to like channel Karen here this is for you Karen I don't think they're as bad as Negan though because I don't know I don't think they were ever going to kill those three women well if you took their food away because you thought you know what these women oh, are these people okay. are doomed and somebody's gonna kill them and take their stuff so we should just take their stuff anyway because why shouldn't we be the ones to have it then you're if you really believe that then you're basically killing them by taking away their food that is that's I, a I fair think. point that is a fair point but I think they did get talked down from that whereas with yeah Megan. they did i mean you know this is how a lot of people come to the place of being evil is they talk themselves into it and they're not like mustache twirling they're rationalizing yeah. their actions you know because of what they've been through and everything mm -hmm. and i mean i think good people can get pushed to become monsters yeah absolutely and i think no i think yeah, it is harsh, isn't it? I think it is. And they got talked out of it, and I was so glad, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, we've seen this kind of thing throughout the series where people do dark things. Look at Morgan. Oh, God, yeah. And, I mean, you saw <laughs> even another about turn from Rick in the graveyard scene towards the start where he's like, what was I thinking, trying to not kill innocent people? I should have been looking out <laughs> yeah. for my own. I'm like, really? Oh, are we? Oh, yeah, God. his dying son's words d stuck to him for about five minutes, yeah. I would say. <laughs> Not even five, Jason. They were halfway out the gate when he was like, what do you think he meant? Like, I don't think it even yeah. stuck for five. Freaking ridiculous. Um, it's ridiculous. I think it's, yeah. I like, I think the show is becoming maybe a bit self-aware of that because you're seeing characters come to this point where they're like, the fuck even are we supposed to do now like i think enid was like because i wondered to myself I was like why is she telling michonne about that is she confessing because she wants to feel better or is she saying it because she genuinely doesn't have a fucking clue and i think it is genuinely doesn't have a clue i think she's trying to reconcile in her mind like i took a life i killed someone yeah and i've survived whereas carl tried to save one and he died so how does that what does that mean yeah but the the, the flaw in that analogy is she killed someone who was trying to kill her friend. Yeah. And 
Carl saved a good person. So yeah. um, if Carl, I, I, I just they just don't those things don't line up. You yeah, know? and I it's think like, they're so keen to give Carl's death meaning in the yeah. show. Not not I mean not the writers like the characters like Michonne is like really hanging on to that. She's like now we have a doctor and a friend, and right. she's you know trying to make that sound like the best thing ever when maybe what everyone's really thinking is we'd like Carl. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It is a good point, um, but it's not like it was an even trade to these people who have known and loved Carl and don't know this new guy. Yeah. You know, they're like, oh, well, fuck that. I would rather have Carl. Yeah. But it is a good point that something, at least something good came out of that. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't worth it to people, but I mean, what if this doctor saves a bunch of lives, then that'll give him some thinking to do about it. In a way, it kind of pisses me off that they went down the road of having him be a doctor, because part of me is like, well, shouldn't life for life's sake... Do you know what I mean? But I know that the stakes are higher in a zombie apocalypse, and RIP, sexy Dr. Carson, but you know... (laughs) Yeah, what if he was just like kind of a nudnik? Be like, eh... Yeah, <laughs> he's like, actually, I'm a drug addict. Hey, like, you know, I'm going to take all your drugs in your infirmary and maybe kill some people. Not that drug addicts kill people, just, you know, I'm saying the worst possible scenario of what this guy could be. And I'm going to go for a serial killer who uses up resources. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, if he was a serial killer, then I would say, oh, Carl should have killed him. <laughs> um, so there's Simon who basically, I mean, what he says is, and he has a good point that, hey, this is not working on these people. Let's mm-hmm. cut our losses and move on. And uh, the, the just the one sticking point is I feel like that uh, I can't tell if he's how much that is a priority for him and how much he just has an urge and an itch to kill a lot of people. Mm. He's he's like the lid on a boiling pot at the moment, isn't he? He's really yeah. teetering on the verge of losing it. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that really. He he's ta- he's taken the hilltop particularly personally because of what they did to the guy that they sent back in the coffin, whose name I have forgotten. R.I.P. Dude in mm. coffin. Because um, he says to Negan, that means it's my men that she's got captive. And I think that he he seems to be the kind of soldier slash general who does invest in his men and does invest in that kind of team mentality. So he seem I think he's got a personal stake in this in a way that Negan maybe doesn't quite have. Hmm. And that's Jaden's judgment. So you don't judgment. think he's just got a psychopathic bloodlust? I think he does have a psychopathic bloodlust, but I think there's fuel to the fire with this one as well. I think it's like showing a, a red rag to a bull. Yeah. Then there's Georgie who came in and is talking about believing in people again and how, you know, four crates of goods is worth far less than a sustainable future and perhaps an exercise in trust. And uh, like you said, the dead have brought out our best and our worst and the worst have been outpacing, but that won't last forever. Yeah. And then Michonne is talking about how to get to our future. It's going to take more than fighting, which I think is smart because Uh, Carl wasn't saying that you shouldn't fight or be prepared to defend yourself, but also that there's a a whole other front, which is being productive and um, bringing, figuring out how to bring people in and how to relate to people outside your group in other ways besides let's kill them all. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think Michonne's interpretation of Carl's 
deathbed philosophy is really really beautiful I think the way that she she was this episode was wonderful and yeah the future takes more than just fighting there's got to be something after I think that's that's crucial isn't it and yeah Carl recognised the need for a fight but he also apparently in the last like four hours of his life um, (laughs) recognised the kind of violence for violence's sake and a fight with purpose yeah and he was heading in that direction. I mean, yeah. I remember when he left the can of food or something for Sadiq in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. Ago. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. What's your number two? I think I'm going to go with Dwight the Diplomat. <laughs> um, I really didn't rate Austin Emilio that much when he first came onto the show. Um, I believe I referred to him as as half-price Matthew McConaughey, which wasn't very nice. So, (laughs) sorry, Austin, I'm sure you're listening. Um, And he's really, really grown on me. And this episode, I thought his performance was really strong. He did a lot with not a lot of dialogue. I enjoyed those kind of opening moments of seeing him look at his wedding rings and sort of standing there in the sanctuary, almost like he never expected to be back there then have Negan come in and kind of patronise him in the way that he does and underestimate him, I think, in the way that he does is interesting. And his interaction with Simon is great because what Simon... Simon is super eager to separate Dwight from the rest of the group. And you can see that Dwight's on edge because I think he's probably assuming that Simon's onto him. But Simon's actually being genuine because he just wants an equal to talk to about all the things that he's feeling, mm-hmm. and Dwight doesn't give him it. He doesn't give it back. He um, and he wants. I think he also wants. He's just trying to consolidate people power. to his point of view. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Dwight just has this amazing neutrality in the way that he talks. You know, he he says, you know, what do you think about going to Hilltop and doing this? It's like when you you meet someone. And you maybe both know the same person and you're trying to figure out if the other person doesn't like that person as well. So you say a couple of things and see if they pick you up and you're like, yeah, I Test just was, I was surprised that they did that. And then let it like hang for right, a bit. Right. Um, but Dwight is, he's very closed. He's like, yeah, an opportunity to close, you know, very kind of mechanical language there. And I enjoyed that. And I liked that Simon did push him. Um, and I enjoyed very much the bit where he flicked the, the cigarette towards the car me and too. Caused the fire. I called it the cigarette of decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a bit over the top action movie, but oh, totally. it was just so damn cool that I liked it anyway. Same. Because it's funny because my notes, the first thing I was like, for fuck's sake, who who lights a cigarette beside a car spill? Have you not seen Zoolander? And then I'm like, oh no, it's deliberate. Oh, he's, oh yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was my reaction to that. And also the naked zombie. Did you catch oh, it? I didn't even notice. Man, no way. all this time I've been waiting for it and I didn't even notice. Yeah, no, the kind I'm of I'm so glad you did. She, I think she kind of creeps in towards <laughs> the back and yeah, is is quite naked, but I mean still it's, it's mainly guts and ribs and stuff like that. But yeah, it was a uh, it was quite a quite a lot to take in between the naked zombie and the the car on fire. Um, <laughs> but no, Dwight I think is is in an interesting position and I like knowing that he's there with all this stuff loaded you know the decisions he's making are hopefully based on what's going to help the other group so how he's dealing with that conflict yeah I mean uh, Simon is saying we should move on 
and cut our losses and write and Dwight's like move on. And so yeah. I think in Dwight's mind, and he should know better because he knows Simon, that he's thinking maybe Dwight means, okay, let's just leave these people alone and go find other people. Yeah. And only in that very last scene does he realize what Simon really means. Yeah. Right? Yes. That's what I thought. Yeah. I think that's pretty accurate. I mean, I, I say that Negan underestimates Dwight. I, I don't necessarily mean that Dwight's, you know, Albert Einstein, but <laughs> <laughs> it's. I just think he's a character that has really grown in terms of from that first time that we meet him in season six is it the first half of season six yeah because it's the the forest yeah. going on fire um to now i just think he's grown a lot and i'm I'm really i'm much more invested in the character and austin emilio's performance is just yeah fantastic i'm really enjoying mm -hmm. it um so that was my number two was dwight the diplomat yeah i agree i feel like austin emilio gives dwight this feeling of depth yeah you know without doing much yeah he can be very subtle in his movements but you feel like there's a lot going on underneath and i think he is in a way like matthew mcconaughey especially kind of true detective era matthew mcconaughey and now that is no longer an insult to him for me that's actually genuine i think he does a lot with kind <laughs> of facial expression and yeah exactly what you said yeah definitely rate that guy i think he's great Yep, me too. Yeah, I, I liked him right away, but I've only liked him more as time has gone on. Okay, uh, number two, Rick and Negan action. Yeah, I knew you'd have this for <laughs> one of yours, so yes. Yeah, so I thought it was funny how instead of signaling like he was supposed to, Rick went to make the signal and he's like, no, I'm just going to go after him myself because he wants to be the one to kill him i think was that what he did with his hand in the car yeah right yeah because they had talked earlier about it about a signaling that they right. were supposed to be doing because i thought he was going to like beep his horn and i was like but then they'll see you and i know yeah. that's true but i that's what i got from it that he decided to just go go on his no, own that makes of complete sense else. i think you're right i had one tiny nitpick with that which is hmm. wouldn't they have changed channels on the walkie-talkie when they realized that rick had one Oh, yeah. Why, why don't they do that? Yeah. But it's not as fun. And also, you just change the channels until you find that one. So anyway, small. Yeah, I guess that's true. huh? I don't know how many channels there are. Good point. Mm. Um, the car chase was fine. It was cool, I guess. But I, I do always wonder why are all the roads clear? It seems I mean, I guess you don't really know, but it seems like in the zombie apocalypse, there'd just be cars everywhere. Well, it was, kind of, it was like know. a wee sort of town, wasn't it? Like an intersection sort of yeah. town that they were in. I didn't really, but it was, it was, I, I agree with you. It was completely, it was like a ghost town. There was nothing there. And that's, yeah, you'd think the roads would Maybe be a bit left, shitter. I guess. Yeah. And then, uh, but also, uh, and they can't, I guess they can't really do this on The Walking Dead, but I think the roads would be overgrown with brush and growth and in yeah. the game the last of us have you ever seen or played that no i really want to though i've heard it's amazing great. things about it and it's beautiful and yeah it takes place in different cities boston and it is like that because they can do it in a video game where everything is just overgrown yeah. it's really cool uh rick with his machine gun coming at negan i mean i'm glad that he's shooting to kill now <laughs> and not hesitating but he's a shitty shot oh my god <laughs> i've written down all his bullets rick shit shot i'm just like didn't he used to be able to get like zombies from like a mile away with like one Always. bullet and i'm just like are you kidding me anyway it looked yeah. like he was pointing it straight at him too 
I mean, he was literally a ghost. And Negan's just like, ah, I'm not going to scratch. I'm cool. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I'm a cat. Yeah. Um, I'm a fat. Uh, he says, I'm a goddamn cat. I was like, oh, don't insult cats. <laughs> and then when he, when he was, uh, he goes, hey, prick. And then he's hanging and, and Rick, I'm like, why is Rick hesitating? And then he didn't hesitate for too long, though. He actually swung the axe switch. I'm like, okay, good, good. And then Negan fell. But he didn't go for the fingers. He, like, went for the middle bit. Like, was he going to try and get Negan's head? Or because I was a like, bad shot. Yeah, I just like Rick. Like, have a word with yourself, man. Like, get get this sorted. Yeah, he could have at least cut off a finger. Come on. Yeah, right. <laughs> so then uh, they're facing off in this basement or whatever mm-hmm. with zombies everywhere. And on one hand, I thought, oh, this is really exciting and it's cool that they can't find each other. And then I'm like, but how, how big is this? <laughs> Like partitions are there and if they're both talking then can't you just sort of hear where it's coming from and go to the source of the sound so i was distracted you know i wanted to love this as much as everyone did and i did like it and i liked their back and forth and their their posturing and everything but i just thought man it's are they like in in one room and and are they're in like there's a doorway and there's another room and they're just yelling it's just so dark they can't see each other like you were here the whole time i think i read a review that that put i think put a bit of a pin in why that scene didn't quite work for a lot of people and i think i'm i've included myself in that is none of us really thought that either rick or negan was going to die in that scene there was no there was no stake there was it was no they were both just like how will they get out of this rather than who's yeah. gonna die and i think that's that always takes a little bit away from it and like you say you are just like well but how many rooms are in this basement <laughs> like, <laughs> but you know you? i agree i didn't i wasn't fearing for their lives but i do it is exciting to me to see them go up against each other and and i liked some of the stuff like i said when negan was talking about how he saved everyone and mm-hmm. uh it made me and then the whole thing with the revelation to him about this, the uh, scavengers. And there was some interesting stuff going on in the scene. I loved when Rick found Lucille, yeah. pulled it up in front of him and just to see him holding it and like, Oh good. He's got the bat down. Yeah. It was just like a little tables turned kind of thing. Yeah. And then um, when he, when Negan made the offer, you get Hilltop Kingdom and Alexandria to fall back in line and you're forgiven lower take 20 to 25%. You know, Rick, yeah, you can be a janitor. And, uh, uh, I, I thought from Negan, that's actually a pretty generous offer. I mean, yeah. He, who knows if it was it was probably bullshit, but he well, said it was people, an they honor. Get to of live Carl, like seventy five percent kings. Yes, seventy five percent king. I mean, that's the dream. Seventy five percent kings has always been my dream personally. But yeah, it was an hey, honor if I could of Carl. Get to that, you know? I'd, be, I'd be stoked. <laughs> but uh, it was fun. Uh, and then Rick's like, I'll make you a deal. I'll let you kiss her goodbye. Oof. Some good lines. That was a sick burn from Grimes there, I have to say. Like, literally, <laughs> because you literally set her on fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you'd think with uh, Lucille being on fire for that long that she's done for, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I had a couple of thoughts about that. One was presumably that kind of will have burned off all the goop. So if Negan or Rick had been hitting that, that would be their their get out as to why they didn't get um they didn't turn. Um, I also noted that Andrew Lincoln is never more British than when he's holding a baseball bat because obviously we don't really have baseball here in the UK. 
<laughs> so I was watching him holding it and I was like, he's just not quite got the swing of it, like quite literally, like Negan's very fluid with it and Andrew Lincoln's like, Mah. like hitting bits and pieces. But um, yeah, I, I mean, presumably she's pretty burned. I mean, is there a lot of varnish on them? Like, I don't, you know. Yeah, I would think it would be toast. Yeah. And then I thought it was a little bit cheesy that, Jadis happened to find Negan um, <laughs> but I also want her to be brought into the storyline so we can see yeah. how she is now so I, I like that part of it but I thought it was going to be Rick driving and then it was a revelation that it was Jadis. I was just relieved she was wearing clothes. I was like oh my god is she going to drive <laughs> naked? Like, that's got to be like uncomfortable um, hmm. yeah that's quite interesting because Negan's not now not leading the fight to Hilltop. So who is who is Jadis going to take Negan to? Is she going to take him to Rick as an offering? Is she going to take him back mm. to the same? You know, she's actually got... It's quite an interesting wild card there. I think that's... Yeah. That's, and I love that she just pistol whipped the back of his head. <laughs> just like, shut I up. mean, I think, yeah, she's... Hmm, she probably, her, big, her highest priority maybe is to somehow get back at Simon. So I don't know how she could use Negan to do that. Yeah. Maybe she'll try that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that's all I had to say about the whole confrontation between the two of those guys. I thought I quite enjoyed it. I'm not usually into sort of long protracted fights, but the Rick Negan fight, there were a couple of things about it that stuck out for me. Um, One is that they're giving Rick and Negan more time to talk to each other because in, in the comics by this point, they haven't actually spoken to one another much at all, if at all, now that I think about it. It's all been done through these kind of big war gestures rather than um, kind of one-on-one conversations. So from a television point of view, that's great. And the other thing I really liked was Rick being a bit of a villain. A couple of weeks ago, we saw Negan be the voice inside Rick's head saying, you know, you failed as a father, you did X, Y, and Z. But here, Rick is really being the voice in Negan's head. He's saying, you know, your way is is terrible. You know, there was always going to be someone like me coming along, like you said. Um, yeah. It was a bit sort of a bit sort of Harry Potter like I have love and you don't have anything Voldemort like that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but it was that idea of like you know everything we have is kind of genuine, you know we work together, you scare people, you beat them into working for you, you don't actually have anything playing into what I imagine are probably some of Negan's biggest insecurities. Mm-hmm. Um and just really watching him kind of bring him down like that was quite satisfying in a lot of ways actually. More mm-hmm. satisfying than if you just punched him in the face. I mean, they, these guys are both highly flawed. And mm-hmm. Rick, yeah, he did. I, I don't really think of him as a villain, but he's a complicated guy. And yeah. Yeah, in, this, in this scene, especially when you start to think about, yeah, maybe everyone would have been at least oh, uh, not dead if Rick hadn't come along. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't say that they were necessarily fine, but yeah. he's alive. <laughs> <laughs> I loved um, the line in Terminus a few seasons back where uh, Gareth is like, and my brother also dead because of Rick. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, join the queue, mate. <laughs> yeah. And then it's a little bit of a throwback this scene. Maybe maybe it's a reach, but it did remind me of when Rick went to see the governor and they had, I think, did they do a shot together or something and had their standoff? Yeah. I mean, they were talking, they weren't really fighting, but yeah, one on one. Yeah, it's, it's just a great device having the two of them interact in that way um so i'm yeah. willing to sort of suspend my disbelief and my kind of comic reality for for the sake of having that bit of interaction um, yeah 
and they're you know the way they connect over Carl is is really interesting you know and Negan saying you know you're going through the worst kind of shit right now I'm like oh it's almost empathy <laughs> mm-hmm. it's quite interesting yeah okay number one number one um so my number one is kind of a broad point it's about ends and means so it's also called carrots or sticks or clips or records so what I really noticed watching this episode an additional time was there was a big division between the men and the women in terms of the way that things played out and who the players were um Obviously, you've got Maggie, Rosita, Michonne and Enid dealing with Georgie, while you've got Rick dealing with Negan and his crew. What I noticed was what Georgie gives or offers Maggie in the hilltop isn't that dissimilar to what Negan theoretically offers the communities he visits. And even some of the ways that she plays it are similar. You know, she says, I'll be back. She says, I expect this. But the way in which she does it with kindness and sort of benevolence makes it a completely different kettle of fish. And it kind of shows that there is another way of doing things. You can achieve those means in ways that aren't destructive, in ways that Mm. don't make everything terrible and everyone's scared. It's the choice Mm. between ruling by fear or ruling through kind of kindness and trust. And I thought it was quite interesting that it was a group of women that came to that decision or that kind of outcome. <laughs> Meanwhile, the men were literally out kind of swinging phallic objects at each other and shouting in burning buildings and things like that. Um, take from that what you will. I just thought it was quite an interesting contrast. I don't know. As I meant, look at Enid. I mean, they had to be brought to it. Yeah. Well, yes, I think... I mean, their instinct was take everything from these people who came to us with an offering and just steal it well Enid's was and I think Enid's at a place that is not a good place at the moment because she's acting quite like well like a teenager who's just had her heart broken but in the worst possible way because the person that she loved is is literally I, it, dead it now. was Maggie's too and she, she said give us all your stuff and there's no deal to be made here and she listened but I mean she's got the same thing going on because she lost Glenn but but I think Maggie Everybody's was more for turning. I think there's a moment at the start where um, Michonne basically says, I'm going to go anyway. And they all sort of go, okay, I'll come too. And then mm-hmm. Maggie turns around and she's like, actually, you know, they could have something for me. I sort of feel like Maggie doesn't have... I don't know. I feel like Maggie's head isn't maybe quite in the game fully at the moment. I think she's thinking more about the saviors than anything else. Well, Maggie, I mean, Michonne said, let's make a deal with these people She into Maggie's ear. Mm-hmm. And Maggie said, no deal. No deal. But she didn't shoot them on sight and she didn't take their stuff immediately. She took them back to Hilltop to decide what to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's been a thing with her. She starts off hard where she wasn't going to give the savior prisoners any exercise mm-hmm. or uh, rations. And then she decides, she thinks about it and decides, okay, no, they're, yeah. they're right, I will. And then, um, you know, the same thing in this episode. She was ready to follow Enid and take all their stuff and then decided to make make the deal after all. So yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. I think the difference with Maggie is though that she listens and she does learn. Like no not learn, that sounds really patronizing. Like she listens and she learns like a good woman. And <laughs> um, no, she she listens in a way that isn't as reactive and instinctive as the way that other people are behaving. And we know from the past kind of 
see well the, the whole series really is that instinctive behavior gets you killed you know punching someone in the face gets glenn killed doing things like that can lead to really bad outcomes so i think maggie where she's going to be a strong leader is that she does listen it does she doesn't always make the right decisions but no leader is infallible um but in this episode it really struck me that the the method where you take a chance sometimes pays off dividends and i think that's really interesting you know when you saw their faces fall when georgie says uh the deal has changed but it's actually changed in their favour. She says, I just want one basket and I'm going to come back. And the coming back isn't a threat. It's the best kind of challenge. It's, you know, show me what you can do. Um, and I thought that was really interesting to see just that story told from a completely different perspective. Trying to establish kind of back and forth bartering, which is theoretically what Negan's doing, mm-hmm. but he's doing it in a very extreme violent way, whereas George yeah. is doing it in this way that relies on trust. And when you give that trust you get more back. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the message I've been preaching on this podcast since we started, that sometimes... Well, uh, that we should give you all our shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, that you need to be vulnerable with, with people mm-hmm. and that will help um, them learn do the same for you. Yeah. And it's a risk, though, and so you need to be smart about it. And uh, it's hard to find that line. And I think Jesus is a great example of someone who he's so capable because he has ninja skills but he's yeah. <laughs> a peaceful warrior you know he he only has that he only uses that capability when he needs to but he comes in with his palms up you know yeah. and so um i think that if you're gonna if you just decide that we're gonna uh, build up our strength and fighting skill and then just kill everyone that we come into contact with or treat everyone as an enemy, then you're going to make a lot of enemies. It's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. So yeah, like yeah. I said, I, I really liked everything that Georgie was saying. And I yeah. don't know, I mean, coming in with so little protection uh, with the way things are right now, I think that I, I personally feel like that's too much of a risk, but seemed to have yeah. worked for her. I wonder, I was just like, surely she must have encountered the saviors. Like, how has she gone yeah, undetected, yeah. you know? But I guess that's Department of Suspension of Disbelief. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, she got lucky this time because Maggie was ready to take all their stuff, right? I mean, that was the plan going in. They weren't even going to make a deal with them. They were just going to go in and see what they had and take it. But if that had really been the case, she would have just taken it there and then. Well, that's what she said. Like, we're we're taking your stuff, but then she started listening to them and changing her mind. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think if she'd been, if her heart had been in, take it and leave them, she would have taken it and left them out there on the road. I think she was saying that to not scare. Well, yeah, to scare them a little while she decided what to do. Yeah, I don't that's know. My theory. Uh, what what you're sort of painting a picture of. Uh, the women women in this episode being more uh, thoughtful and. Um, versus reactive fighting with the men. I think yeah. that that is happening in this episode, but I think throughout the course of the series, there have definitely been examples of oh my god, yeah, on both sides doing both. Like Glenn, yeah, for sure. Glenn comes to mind as the w- person on this show the most who would be compassionate. You know, aha, uh-huh, absolutely. And look at like Tara's behavior last week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There I mean it's totally it's that's I think why it's so interesting in this episode that it falls down that line. Because yeah. I, I agree with you completely. I do not think for one minute that women are all like 
if everyone just lived like Oceanside, it would be wonderful. But <laughs> yeah, I, do yeah, I mean, the Oceansiders, they would kill on sight. Mm-hmm. I think I just think it's quite interesting in this episode that it is so gendered. I think that's that's yeah. why it stands out because usually I think The Walking Dead does a fairly good job of balancing that. I don't think it's like you know we've come a long way from the women washing their clothes in the creek in season one. Yeah. Um, washing everyone's fucking clothes in the creek <laughs> but it, it surprised me in this episode that I mean that had to be deliberate in a way that it was so defined in that way because there was no reason why Daryl couldn't have come to visit not to visit to meet those people there was no reason why Jesus couldn't have come but it was definitively a group of women that went there so it just surprised me in that sense that that line was so distinctly drawn and it made me wonder what it was trying to get at yeah yeah, that's interesting. And I do, I mean, I think that in general, in real life, that males are more aggressive, reactive, and violent than men are more like mm-hmm. that than women. But uh, on this show, I'd say a lot of times the women are every bit as much like that. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I think it's interesting because when you say, you know, Maggie and Enid were one way, I'm suddenly like no they weren't they were great they were doing this but then i'm like why am i why is it bad for women to be like that do you know what i mean i'm sort of like well actually maybe maggie was being like that but she's also the closest thing to a democratically elected leader that they have she's also someone who's yeah. struggled with decisions and things like that so i think it's a very it's yeah she yeah she's definitely um you know i feel the same way about her that i have about rick in the past cuz now she's in a leadership position and She's making some decisions that seem dark sometimes. And so I'm evaluating all of that. Like, oh, was, is she, you know, and she's her, uh, Glenn is, has been killed. So you have to wonder whether she can think straight. And I think that all in all, she's actually done an awesome job. And even when she killed that one savior uh, with the situation that they were in, uh, and he was a total dick anyway. I'm like, yeah, I guess, you know. Yeah, I mean, that was the closest sense. thing we've seen to, like, unbridled, unreasonable Maggie rage, isn't it? I mean, that's the closest thing we've had to... But it was part of a strategy too, though. Yeah, exactly. That's mm-hmm. the thing is she was thinking about it in terms of the, the longer picture, the bigger picture as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think it's... I just thought it was particularly in this episode pointed in a way that it hadn't been for a while because I think in a show with characters like Michonne and Carol you can't for a moment say that it rests on its laurels in terms of gender and women are all about peace and men are all about you know swinging dicks at each other but the contrast was just pulled into quite stark focus in this episode which I think was interesting Uh, Speaking of Maggie Mm -hmm. I really think she's knocking it out of the park her whole vibe has changed, but in a believable way. She seems older to me, the way she totally. acts. Totally. And uh, a couple of seasons ago, it wouldn't have been believable to me to think that Michonne would be subordinate to Maggie, but yeah. she is now, at least at Hilltop. Like it, She wants to make the deal with these guys, but ultimately it's Maggie's decision. Yeah. And I think Michonne's yeah. an interesting case of someone who's kind of come full circle as well in terms of their attitudes. You know, when we first meet her, yeah. she's cutthroat. Right, and angry and reactive. Whereas now she's really taken, you know, she's taken Carl's speech to heart and understood it in a way that a lot of people haven't. And where there's pain, there's hope. You know, she's talking in a hopeful way about things, despite being absolutely, like, bleeding heart with pain. Like, Denai Guerrero is just a beating heart in this episode in terms of the grief that she's portraying. Yeah. 
But yeah, you're completely right. The way that Maggie's kind of grown into this leadership role, it, it makes sense that Michonne would respect that. Um, it's also the respect yeah. they have for each other, I think, that right. allows it's them to Michonne's do that. It's Michonne's choice to do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, she's like, this is Maggie's show. But yeah, that's it's an interesting kind of way that that plays out between the two of them. So yeah, mm-hmm. I found it I found it very interesting. I, can't, I found Enid a little bit... I didn't find her the most compelling thing to watch this episode. Um and just not that invested still. And it's a shame because I think Caitlin Nacon is a good actress and I think there's potential there with Enid. And it did strike me how much she's grown up in this episode from the kind of moody emo teen that we saw in season five. But yeah, I just, I'm still struggling to kind of get really invested in that. And it, it felt like watching a teenager have a strop when Michelle, uh, Michelle, when Michonne took the gun mm-hmm. and Enid kind of stormed out the house and that was that kind of thing. Um, she was maybe the one bum note for me in that kind of storyline for this episode. I mean, I just don't like what she was saying. So, but yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I don't want everyone to say things that I like. So that's totally fine for them to have someone be like that. But it just like, oh God, no, no, don't be like that. Yeah. Uh, but also seeing her back at Hilltop with everyone else, I'm like, well what about Aaron? Like, does no one care about it? It made me feel like no one cares about Aaron, even though I know they had that conversation off screen and it's, and and, you know, there's nothing they can do, but it just having it not be addressed and her suddenly back made me feel like that. And where is the room where they're keeping like Jesus and Ezekiel and like, where are they? Are they just chilling in a trailer? Like, I don't understand. Where's Jesus? (laughs) Too many characters. Yeah. You're feeling that now. I think spinning. Like, I was looking at the opening credits and who the kind of main players are now, and I was like, oh, I've not seen Ross Marquand in about two episodes. We've not seen, mm-hmm. you know, Seth Gillum since, well, we saw him last week, but before that, not for a while. And yeah, it's it's starting to feel quite stretched out. I'm looking forward to them all being in one place for a while now. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, fingers crossed. Because, right. I mean the storyline stretching out so long part of that is a symptom of just having so many characters to cover so yeah let's see what this person was doing for those 10 minutes yeah <laughs> okay i guess that was your wait where are we I'm that was lost. my number one okay mine is simon and dwight which we've covered a lot of but just a couple of things to mention there that um simon goes back to all the saviors that he had made up some bullshit story why why it was smart not to let them come and help find Negan. But Mm -hmm. that was basically to isolate Dwight and maybe even his plan was to kill Negan if he had, if, if it came around to that, I I don't know. But um, then at the end he comes back and says, we're all Negan. So now let's do stuff that Negan explicitly said not to do. And they're all like, yeah, "Yeah." (laughs) that was so weird. It was just like, um, what? (laughs) Yeah. But I, I could still see how people might, I don't know. I guess if Negan's dead, then maybe Simon is the next one in line that they would follow. And again, he covered his steps, his uh, tracks nicely because he did say, you know, he might be back. <laughs> he was yeah, like, yeah. just kind of North Korea ish. Yeah, it wasn't what Shane did, being like, he's definitely dead. And then, like, oh, wait, nope, that one backfired because he <laughs> is not dead. But um, 
Yeah, it was interesting. It, and it was interesting that he did it all in the name of Negan. Like, he got what he wanted to do across Yeah. in the yeah. name of that which he didn't actually want to do at all. So that was... Um, right. Yeah, I enjoyed Clever. that. Yeah, he's a he's a manipulator. I like it. It's yep. entertaining to watch. Absolutely. And he goes at one point, you know, hey, let's let's talk, Dwight. Nobody here but us chickens. And I'm like, I've heard that before. So I looked it up and ain't nobody here but us chickens is a phrase going back a long time. First appeared in Everybody's Magazine in 1908 ah. in an, an anecdote where this chicken thief yells it out nobody here but us chickens yeah <laughs> so it's basically just like a lie said by someone yeah. who's up to no good i remember <laughs> it from um a babysitter's club book when i was like nine or ten it was in that yeah. it was one of those kind of american references that went over my head but when he said it i was like oh yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> clever okay any notes um just a couple of wee ones really um mm -hmm. i I'm astounded that in that car crash, Negan didn't get even a little cut that the guts would have fallen into and made him ill. Like, that's astonishing that he came yeah. out completely unscathed. Yeah, with a big bucket of guts yeah, I know. right I was next like, to him. Are you kidding me? Like, I know. But he managed. He wears a leather jacket, you know? He's a cat. I made a note of what the key to a, f a, key to a future said on it. Um, it just says. Being a guide to the machinery, techniques, tasks, travails, and solutions employed by early civilizations to recent times, let this be the path forward from the past to a more advanced now, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, Do you trust her? I don't know. I mean, I love a woman with a manuscript. And she did start <laughs> talking about medieval history, so I was like, oh, I yeah. do like you. But also, I don't know. There's something about it's her a that lot just of seems work surreal. Yeah. For a scam. Yeah. <laughs> to come up with that book. She's like um, an encyclopedia salesman in the apocalypse. She's like, just buy in for this edition and next, yeah, that kind of thing. Um, so that cheered me. I liked having the, the kind of handbook of how to survive the zombie apocalypse. That seemed quite handy. Um, I've got a note saying they should have told them to avoid the road going back because it'd be a bummer if they just got killed off by the saviors in the next episode. One other detail that I really enjoyed was seeing some military planning in action when Simon actually told people where they were to go and what they were to do and gave a reason to it because I think sometimes we see in The Walking Dead these amazing kind of military moves being executed but we don't see the planning and we're like how did this what how did they know to do x y and z and I quite liked seeing Simon take that leadership role and be like move the van down there create a perimeter do x y and z mm -hmm. and really going through the motions and it made me kind of buy into him as a leader um yeah. which is which was good and aside from that not much that's what I liked when Michonne said when she was talking about Carl um about who Rick wanted him to be and who he wanted us to be. I think that really affects Maggie because she looks at the kids at that point and I wonder at that moment if she's thinking of Glenn, like what you were saying about the compassion, particularly that line about who he wanted us to be. I wonder if that's actually more for Maggie thinking about him than it is about her thinking about Carl. Mm. Again, kind of referencing back and looking at mm -hmm. kind of the influence of more sort of compassionate people on moments of yeah. high stress. Yeah, are all dead. Yeah. Because they're weak. <laughs> they're all dead. Because <laughs> they just weren't shit enough. Um, 
that that's it and just yeah very relieved okay. that uh Jadis doesn't drive naked because that's dangerous guys you should wear <laughs> shoes i think it would have been fine but okay. <laughs> we, we don't have to agree on everything yeah. <laughs> uh let's see so i just had a couple um i think they did some more of those dramatic close-ups on faces Ooh. one after the other with music at the beginning yeah and i know a lot of people hate that but i actually don't mind I think it kind of fits in with the show's yeah. emphasis on these larger than life characters. And uh, it's like a comic book panel as well, having that, you know, you yeah. can see that as a, a kind of frame in one of the comics, having a close up on those eyes. And I mean, Stephen Ogg, Austin Emilio, and Jeffrey Dean Morgan have great eyes for that. They've got really expressive, kind of evil faces, which just makes it totally worth it. Yeah. And it's kind of moody and yeah. just checking in on their their mood and everything. Uh, And then last, I thought the whole point of covering up the weapons with gunk is because they're out of ammunition, but they all, all the saviors had guns. So are they just low on ammo or find some or what? Pass. I'm assuming low. (laughs) Yeah. I I assume low. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not quite. Yeah. I don't know if they kind of emphasized enough the sort of, ammunition shortage because it wasn't until you mentioned it there I'm like oh yeah I kind of thought it was just more getting psychological warfare but you're totally right it is about a like an actual yeah. problem in that there's a lack of ammunition um and yet yeah. they're all I think all of them had guns yeah none so of them had a like a hatchet or a mm-hmm. yeah I mean I'm sure they've got those sitting in their cars ready to take out when they get to hilltop because they made a point of showing them yeah <laughs> getting them all ready at the beginning of the episode you know yeah all right great i think we're good let's yeah. take a little break there's more to come stay with us sure there ain't nobody here but us chickens there ain't nobody here at all so quiet yourself and stop that fuss there ain't nobody here but us Kindly point that gun the other way and hobble, hobble, hobble off and hit the head. All right, back. It's time to talk about our sponsor for the episode, and that is Fracture. Do you know what a fracture is? I do. I keep meaning to order them because they do actually deliver to the UK, but I have not got around to it yet. So, what is it? It is. A photo printed on glass so the colors are very vibrant and it looks fantastic so i'm told <laughs> that's right yeah you should get one if you get a chance um as i mentioned last time we did an ad for them which i think was last episode i recently got one i hadn't gotten one in a while i have a bunch but mm-hmm. i got a big square one with with bodhi and his big ear to ear smile it's 11 by 11 inches and I really like it a lot. And I know it's something that I'll always have now to remind me of how cute my little Bodhi is at one year old. I think when I met Bodhi, he was barely 11 inches. So I can't really <laughs> imagine. He's smaller than the picture. He was tiny. He was only, what, five weeks old? He was tiny. We brought him to England for Walker Stalker last year. And oh. Lucy got to meet him. You'd love him, man. He's so He's cute. So cute. <laughs> <laughs> So if you guys want to get one of these, this is a good way to help support the Walking Dead cast. I mean, we have our Patreon. Um, what other ways? We have an Amazon link. But if you support our sponsors, then they'll keep 
sponsoring us and fracture has been around a while. And I assume that's because you guys are buying them or else they wouldn't want to keep sponsoring us, but it's so important for us to have sponsors and fracture is one of the best. It's my favorite. So if you want to support the podcast and get something awesome for yourself or as a gift for someone you care about, then this is an awesome way to do it. Why do I like them? Well, a whole bunch of different reasons. Their product is really simple and minimal, and I like that a lot. I, I you know, I like those kinds of things. Um, it's modern. It's really beautiful, and it's personal to you, which I think is really neat. You know, every person who gets one of these, there's just going to be completely different because it's your photos. They're mm-hmm. really easy to get. You just upload your picture, and that's it. Choose a size. And then once you get it in the mail, it's easy to hang. It has the backing all done. You don't have to do anything. Just, you know, put a nail in the wall and hang it up there. Uh, It's a really good company. They're great to deal with. They have this happiness guarantee. So if you don't, if you're not satisfied with something, they'll make it right. And you you get really quick responses from their support team and everything. And they, they really put a lot of attention to detail. All their fractures are handmade in their factory in Gainesville, Florida in the U.S., and so it's just everything about about it that I think of is really good. So if you do want to get one, just go to fracture.me. And if it's your first time, you can use code DEAD15 and you get 15% off. Used to be 10. Now they bumped it up to 15. 15, that's pretty decent. Yeah, not bad. So again, that's fracture.me and use code DEAD15. Thanks, Fracture. You can live like a 15% king. <laughs> <laughs> it's so luxurious. It's so luxurious. <laughs> Obvious threat to untold numbers of citizens. The people it kills get up and kill. Are they slow moving, Chief? Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. This is a Walking Deadcast news update. Okay, a whole bunch of stuff in the news today. Some some good stuff. First, The Walking Dead Season 8 finale. You guys have probably heard this. And Fear the Walking Dead Season 4 premiere are going to be playing in theaters in the U.S. I'm not sure about elsewhere around the world. Uh, for one night only on Sunday, April 15th. And I uh, it's going to start at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.30 Pacific. You can get those tickets at fathomevents.com or I think at the participating theater box office and I'll put link a link to Fathom Events in the show notes. And I got my ticket because I have always wanted to see what it would be like to see The Walking Dead on the big theater screen. So I'm kind of excited about this. Oh, amazing. I we saw a few years ago now we went to see um the episode of Game of Thrones Blackwater on the big screen as part of the Glasgow Film Festival and it was wow. amazing. It was really, That's really awesome. cool. Um, I'm just quickly Googling to see if they're doing it in the UK. I hope they are, but I don't think they will be, sadly. But I'm very jealous. Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> Sucks to be well, British. It's April 15th, so I'm sure you can get over here for that. Yeah, I'll just fly out. It's fine. Zip just on travel. over. Just travel. <laughs> <laughs> So you had one you wanted to report. I did. Um, it's like someone took a Venn diagram of my interests. Um, on <laughs> Thursday the 15th of March, um, it was announced slash released that Quidditch Through the Ages, which is an accompanying book to the Harry Potter series, is now available in a new format as an audiobook read by longtime Harry Potter fan Andrew Lincoln. And according to Pottermore, 
boy does he enjoy himself. So if you would like something that's quite cute and quite entertaining, um, if you head over to Pottermore, they've got a little video there of Andrew Lincoln talking about reading the book to his the books to his kids as they're growing up and how much fun he had narrating this particular one. Um, it's nice to see him doing stuff that's not traumatised crying in the zombie apocalypse so if you just want a little <laughs> bit of light relief this is this is the way to go um, and for interest if anyone's into Quidditch he thinks that the team he would support would be the Holyhead Harpies who are the Welsh women's team that is my contribution today that's great because I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does aside from The Walking Dead and now you you know there's one available right now so that's pretty cool yeah, absolutely. She, um, mm. he, he's technically playing uh, the author of the book, Kenilworthy Wisp. Um, so this will be his first <laughs> big role outside The Walking Dead for a while. Um, yeah, I haven't got my copy yet, but I'm excited to listen to it. Yeah, I want to report on on what it's like. If you can deal with like loads of oh my god, it's so amazing, then yeah, definitely <laughs> come by, come by. I've just been taking Nico through that whole series. We're watching it together. <gasps> So he's Amazing. loving it. Is he loving it? Oh, great. I mean, it's scary. Parts of it are pretty scary. He's six years old, but he he can handle it. I still can't like. I still have stress nightmares about Voldemort. Like, I I can't deal with his face. It's terrifying. <laughs> I I met Ray Fiennes once, and I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> get away from me. Yeah. All right. Entertainment Weekly had an interview with Greg Nicotero, who directed this week's episode, and they say we know Simon has been chafing under Negan's rules and has been looking to do things his own way. But what do you make of Dwight's role and reaction here? Because Simon puts him in a very tricky spot of basically advocating or at least agreeing for mutiny. Greg Nicotero says Simon's a really smart guy. He's testing the waters to see even how much of this plan that he's sort of hatching is possible. But unfortunately for Dwight, Dwight takes the bait. Mm -hmm. Whether it's because Dwight really does want to find a way for these guys to resolve the conflict, he follows he falls into Simon's trap. So he's thinking as they're walking, maybe Simon's being honest and maybe he really does want to just walk away from this whole conflict, cut our losses and everybody goes their own direction. He's really selling that and he's selling it hard and it doesn't even become apparent to Dwight until the very last sequence when he realizes that's not what Simon was saying. And Simon basically got him on board so they can go now go in and as Simon says, expunge them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he didn't. At least according to Greg, he did not Dwight know. Did not know that. Was this a Nicotero episode? Apparently, yeah. Ah. He directed it. Next, Cineblends interviewed Jane Atkinson, who plays Georgie. They say, "Has Georgie ever come across Negan or his saviors?" She says, no, I don't think so. I think she stayed far away from him. His group is not one of the ones she's giving the key to the kingdom to. You know, if you go from what's written on the page, Enid says, have you done this a lot? And she says, we've gone around, but there aren't many like you. So my sense is that she's been scouting things out and looking in to see where to bring this seed of hope. That's my sense. Nobody's told me that, but that's my sense from what's written on the page. She could be just making all this up. It's true. I, I just don't believe what any of them say anymore. I'm like, mm, yeah. great, great. <laughs> then they ask one more. What, what does Georgie ask? Why does Georgie ask for phonographs? These records to me, I'm just beginning to understand what these records are. I had a friend say if there was an apocalyptic world, my records would come with me and my stereo. And, you know, in this world, you're being shown what has value, which is human creativity it's a value and in those artists are great lyrics 
our poetry, our inspiration, and clearly she values them. She values books and learning, and she wants to preserve and have survived human creativity and inspiration, but not spoken word. Yeah. <laughs> but not prose that can fuck right. off. <laughs> she would not want the Quidditch book. Oh, I mean, who God. wouldn't? Right. Maybe she would make an exception for Andrew Lincoln. Wouldn't we all? um next from screenrant.com the walking dead is getting this pokemon go style augmented reality game uh there's a trailer out it's called the walking dead our world and it says tasked with ridding famous landmarks nearby from the curse of the zombie apocalypse our world is based on the tv show rather than comics this means that daryl dixon will pick up his crossbow with a gaming likeness of norman reedus and players will level up to collect new weapons and characters as they attempt to clear their neighborhood. Instead of throwing colorful balls at the undead, our world uses a handy crosshair system that allows mobile <laughs> users to put the zombies in their sights and let it rip. Amazing. It, it premieres at the Game Developers Conference, which uh, is on March 21st to 23rd. So Ooh. it's coming up. If you like those kind of things. Now, the next two are about fear the walking dead um and it sounds great Mm. Uh, okay so entertainment weekly says this is a spoilery a little bit it tells who the crossover character is i think pretty much everyone knows but just so you know if you don't want to know you should skip ahead it's negan no it's not negan (laughs) (laughs) that'd be interesting okay here i go so lenny james is not the only one from the mothership to hop a flight to Austin, Texas to be a part of the revamp spinoff. Michael E. Satrazimus, who has been the Walking Dead's longtime director of photography, while also directing 12 episodes, including The Grove, oh. has joined Fear for uh, as directing producer to help mold the new look for the show. Uh, Fear will also be incorporating a different visual style in season four and one which will harken back to a classic film genre. We're we're going composition forward, says Satrazimus, where Ian and Andrew, the new showrunners, brought me in. That was one of their first conversations. What do you think we could do to keep making this powerful? We went back to the old Western vibe with big and wide frames and holding frames. We've slowed the cutting pattern down and really kind of play a lot of that Western vibe. After all, we are in Austin. It is Texas. Amazing. That could be interesting. And then this last part. Forbes had a mostly non-spoilery review of Fear the Walking Dead Season 4 Episodes 1 and 2, and it's called Fear the Walking Dead Season 4 Preview, The Zombie Show We Deserve. Oh. Which, that's a little vague, because if you're self-hating, then that means that it's a show. (laughs) If we're crap, then it's crap. (laughs) Yeah. But it says that the new characters are great. I'm paraphrasing some of this because it was long, but I'll quote some of it too. They say, Lenny James is the big crossover star. Morgan's left The Walking Dead behind him and moved on to much, much greener pastures in a far superior television show that finally gives him the good writing and attention to detail his character deserves. It says, quite literally, everything about fear is better than the main show. It's already better in season three, but it's improved even more now. I was worried when I learned that previous showrunner Dave Erickson was leaving after such a great third season with the show suddenly sink again under new leadership. 
Judging by the first two episodes, I had nothing to worry about. New showrunners Andrew Chambliss and Ian Goldberg co-wrote both episodes with a little help from Scott Gimple in the first one, and the writing is leagues better than anything on The Walking Dead. It's nuanced, interesting, and feels natural. Hey. They say uh, the dialogue is natural and filled with subtext. They say cinematography is in a whole other league from The Walking Dead, reminding them of the first season with lots of attention to detail. They say action scenes are better and more realistic. And then the last quote, more realistic shooting, better zombie tension, better fight choreography. All of this combined with better writing, more fully drawn characters, and a show that's just a lot prettier to watch makes Fear the Walking Dead not only better than its parent show, but better than its parent show even during its heyday. So, man, that's a lot of talking it up. And do you see that was Forbes? Yeah. Forbes do quite a good Walking Dead review, actually. I don't know much about Forbes as a magazine, but um, they're pretty good at reviewing the show in quite a diplomatic way, like an objective way. And so if uh-huh. they're saying that, then that's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I try um, not to get my hopes up too high, so I'm not going to totally take this at face value, but it does make me feel good that somebody had all these great things to say about it because I was also worried about losing Dave Erickson. And yeah. I thought fear had been getting really good, but th- this gives me hope that it's going to be pretty cool. I saw the trailer that's kind of individual shots of them and a voiceover with Morgan and Madison and it was pretty spectacular. I, it really got me excited for what's to come. So yeah, that's that wow. bodes well. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. That's it for the news. Let's move on to Lister Moans, Groans, and Grunts. Rebecca Louise says, Another solid episode. Lots going on and had me on the edge of my seat. For once, I actually thought that Rick might kill Negan, and it was great to see him actually try. Go, Rick! What? <laughs> I love the interaction between Dwight and Simon, too. Uh, Simon... Two, not Simon Two. Um, <laughs> season eight B is looking to be a cracker of a half season. Let's hope it continues the way it's been going. Brackets. Then I can almost forgive how they've changed the rules of the universe when it comes to contamination just to fit their storyline. Maybe. Close brackets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Savdi says that was a good damn episode of the walking dead tonight story moved along met new characters all of negan and rick's stuff was really good in my opinion and when negan found out what simon did the look on his face was priceless i love tonight's episode kevin says that was intense loved it don says best episode in two years i like the specificness of that (laughs) (laughs) christian longabow longabow Uh, I really liked this episode, but in particular, I loved the Rick-Negan fight. I think it was completely stupid that Rick couldn't hit Negan. Rick can shoot any walker from a good distance right in the head. Still, loved the fight. Loved that Rick lit up Lucille and was swinging it around. Cool visual and a good parallel with Rick and Negan. Like, maybe they are far more similar than we want them to be. Mm, Yeah. Like it. Kristen Crabtree says, Ugh, why does the sheriff have such horrible aim with not one but two guns? And he let Lucille get back in Negan's hands. Great Zed action, though, and we got a little bit of Jerry. Woo! Like 30 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Beth Hoyle says, I mean, if he hadn't shot 16 million bullets into the bottom of Negan's car, they may have lasted longer. (laughs) Truth. Good point. 
Mark Kirkman says, OMG, what in the blue hell? There's so much going on. Rick attacking Negan with his car. This crazy woman. Spoilers, looks like the new frontier lady. That's uh, from The Walking Dead game, Telltale game. Oh. So I wonder yeah, if they're pulling something from that. I don't know. Interesting. But interesting. This is straying from the comics completely. Rick ambushing Negan and confronting him and then ditching Negan to let Negan die. Then to see Jadis helping Negan. This is so far from the comics that it's a new story for the show. Is this the new beginning of the show or is it a setup of the end? Inquiring minds want to know. Mofevo says, during the chase scene, was that sirens? Was Rick hearing pursuit sirens? Flashback to police days? Also, yes. Yes. <laughs> also, what did Georgie have against spoken word? Interested in their backstory, pretty safe deal to offer knowledge because the only people who would benefit from the knowledge would put to use would be interested in the deal. Do you think Negan would take that deal or was offered that deal? Mo, for what it's worth, I do not. <laughs> would he? What was the deal? Trade Stuff records for knowledge. knowledge. Uh, he'd probably say, are you part of a group? Where are they? Yeah. <laughs> Hot diggity dog. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't really. Yeah. I wonder if he would take the deal. You know, I mean, there's a lot of practical, uh, elements to being a leader that were not really being shown because it's mm -hmm. not very dramatic, but it might help the saviors to know about how to do all that stuff if they don't already know. I just think Negan thinks he knows everything already. <laughs> Good like point. I really I feel and like then, he would just be insulted by that but I don't know maybe he could be right yeah and what did George have or else he would try to assimilate them like the Borg and then he would have their knowledge yes <laughs> what did Georgie have against the spoken word I I don't know she just seems to maybe like she had a bad experience with a performance poet or something yeah. before like William Shatner yeah <laughs> <laughs> amazing Brian Campbell, is it my turn? Yeah. Yes. Brian Campbell says, I was really hoping that at the height of their confrontation, Rick and Negan would come face to Lucille lit face. Rick would drop Lucille and they would embrace with a passion never before seen on The Walking Dead. Brian, I'm so with you on that. I, I'm feeling it, man. I'm feeling it. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about raw masculinity. More, <laughs> yeah. Spontaneous uh, homoeroticism on this show. Uh, Jason Robertson says this was a great episode if this didn't get you excited then check your pulse you might just be a Zed <laughs> see <laughs> people loved it Alicia Stout said oh hell yes I loved it Rick was so badass in this episode Simon has gone to the dark side wow in other news I'm getting kind of excited for Fear the Walking Dead with all the cool commercials they were showing yeah I've actually not mm -hmm. been watching those and I'm kind of glad because I'm already excited for it so I don't want to get spoiled on anything <laughs> don't overdo yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> yeah Robin Cooper says, Simon, much better oh, so, than... Sorry, I messed up. Her name is Robin Cooper Simon. Oh, Ro <laughs> Robin Cooper, Simon, much better than last week. Uh, the scenes with Rick and Negan are just so frustrating at this point, though. There really has to be resolution soon. I'm really worried for Simon now. I think his days are numbered and I'm really going to miss him on the show. You and me both, Robin. You and me both. Yeah, that's the one bad part of Simon sticking his neck out is it's probably going to mean his death. Yeah. Sarah Larkham says this was a great thrilling episode. Love seeing Jane Atkinson from House of Cards. She's such a great actress. Looking forward to see her hopefully in the future. I'm sure she'll be back. Yeah. 
Oh, okay, emails. now we got some emails. Sorry. I'm yeah. like, I'm like yeah. silence. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, emails from <laughs> Jason Scott. I am very confused by The Walking Dead's continuity. In an earlier season, where the gang is walking because all of their vehicles had run out of gas, I believe it is the episode before they meet Aaron for the first time. They are walking and a group of walkers is following them. They decide it would be best to eliminate the walkers before continuing the trek. In doing so, Sasha goes a little crazy with a knife and after just killing some zombies with the knife, cuts Abraham. Oh yeah. If we are now supposed to be led to believe that Negan and his crew can cover their weapons with zombie blood, guts and brains to infect someone that is cut or nicked by those weapons, wouldn't Abraham have been turned when that happened to him? Just curious what you guys think of this. Love the show. Keep up the great work. Well, Abraham has a twin brother and they travel together, but they don't let anyone know that there's two yeah. of them. I, I think Jason missed that episode. Jason Scott missed that episode where um, Shmabraham um, came in and took over from him. So that's the explanation. So that's what you get for not paying attention. Uh, yes, retcon. That's all I can say. Ret- I didn't know what retcon stood for until you told us the other week. So that was me learning something. That's what I think. Knowledge. I'd like to hear Scott Gimple explain that. but Oh, God. Would we? Would we? Next, Jeremy Moore says, Hi, Jason and Karen. Great show this morning. I wanted to comment on Karen's point that the Negan plotline is going on way too long. Her survey of the season where they were in the prison for this long, Woodbury for this long, etc., etc., was totally on point. Back when I used to try to get people to watch the show, I would say the first season is great, but the second season drags on forever because it takes them forever to get out of that farmhouse. And that was only one season. How much, <laughs> how much longer are they going to be fighting Negan? It wouldn't bother me. I think it's just going to be four more episodes so or five yeah. or whatever it is. It wouldn't bother me if he wasn't so one-dimensional. Everybody talks about how great Negan is, but I actually think he's kind of boring. The equivalent character, the governor, was more interesting because he had a daughter who had become a zombie and was grieving her in a weird way. But Negan just struts and swings a bat around. It's getting dull. <laughs> I want Rick to kill him for no other reason than maybe they can move on to something else. Keep up the good work. I should have probably read this one on an up with Karen because I know she would just be agreeing like crazy to all of it. I'll channel Karen just say, mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I I don't totally agree, but I do kind of. I, I, I think it this... I think Negan's actually a pretty interesting character, but yeah, they could have just had this be a one season story. Yeah. Or even just, I kind of, th- yeah, my thought was always that it would go up to the half season and then we would yeah. have the, the jump, but evidently not. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, well. But I really do feel like that it, the end of the season is going to be at least things will be completely different. You know, it won't be all about fighting the saviors anymore. Yeah, I hope so. This episode gave me a bit of hope that that will be the case. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, we have one call from Luke from Michigan. Hey, guys. I'm Luke from Michigan, first-time caller. Um, I just listened to your episode, and I wanted to talk about last week, but I know it's too late. Um, I thought it was a good episode. I got all teary-eyed when they went slow motion to tell them about Carl. And then Enid was crying, and I felt bad, and I was getting teary-eyed, but then I thought, wait a minute, Enid, you're not going to fool me, you little spy. (laughs) (laughs) She's a wolf. (laughs) Keep up the good one. (laughs) You don't really think that, Lou. Come on. 
he's just uh, messing with us. That's amazing. It'd, be, it'd be amazing if they turned right and she's like, hi guys, I was a wolf all along. Yeah, and starts <laughs> killing everybody. She seemed kind of like a wolf a little bit in this episode. Well, I was going to say, given what we were saying earlier, it's not that far-fetched. <laughs> all right, now it's time for Comic Talk. Hi everybody and welcome to Comic Talk. Uh, I'm Lucy. This week we are delighted to have with us Peg Allen from the heart of Texas, I believe, Peg. Howdy. I don't really say Howdy. that. Howdy. <laughs> I, felt, I felt like it was necessary after you introduced me that way. I don't know. <laughs> oh, it's fine. It's fine. I've said much worse stuff coming from Scotland, so that's completely, completely uh, cool with me. Well, I was going to start today by asking you actually a little about something not related to The Walking Dead, which is Oblivion Song, which just debuted last week. Could you tell us a little bit about Oblivion Song? Yeah, because I'd seen some stuff on it. It's it, For those who don't know, I guess, I think Jason talked about it a little bit last week, but it's Robert Kirkman, the creator of The Walking Dead, his new series, his new comic book that he is working on. And the first issue is out now, second issue should be out late next month, I guess, something. I'm not mm-hmm. sure on the exact release schedule yet. But I'm subscribed to it already. I'm ready to go. But yeah, it's really good based off of the first issue. I enjoy it. It's a really interesting story. I think Jason talked about it, but just a quick recap. It's basically like this huge chunk of a city is taken to an alternate dimension somehow. This like oblivion mm-hmm. dimension full of all kinds of scary creatures and monsters and stuff. And they figured out a way to bounce back and forth the two different dimensions, ours and there, and the Oblivion dimension, to rescue people and try to bring them back. And after a period of time, the rescues have dwindled and they stopped getting financing. But the main character, his name is Nathan Cole. I guess his brother is Mm -hmm. still over there. And so he has kind of got this little ragtag group that they're still trying to go back and forth and rescue who they can. And that's kind of the broad overlook there's still some more stuff that i didn't want to spoil but amazing i'm excited to see where it goes for sure yeah how was the first issue was it quite gripping or yeah i think it really brought me in and kirkman has a great style just his like you already can see this is going to be another book like the walking dead where he's really going to explore the humanity in situations yeah. you know what what will drive people to do or not do certain things the one thing i noticed that's really interesting is it is like a T for teen kind of rating. It's mm-hmm. not a mature comic book like The Walking Dead, so there's not as much like language and everything. It's a lot cleaner than The Walking Dead comic okay. books. At least it seems like that's going to be the way they want to go with it right now. So it's more um, TV Negan than comic book Negan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's. A, do you think it's like The Walking Dead for those of us that enjoy the comic? Ah, it is. This is it's very different. It's a more sci-fi kind of feel, but it does have Kirkman's voice to it. So I think if anybody yeah. really loves the Walking Dead comics, I think they will enjoy it. Okay, you've convinced me. I'm definitely going to have to give it a go. Um, I totally. I meant to download it. It bypassed me. I got distracted, but no, I need to do that. I think it sounds super interesting. Um, great. So I guess moving into our observations about this week's episode, we chatted a little before we went on air just to say that it's probably going to be some again some little observations um, moving up to the the thing that everyone is talking about all over the internet well the internet the the zhead internet um 
What kind of small things did you notice first off for this episode? Oh, the, the, just little things. I had to go back and was reading in the comics today. Like, obviously, there's the just more emphasis on they're blooding up the weapons and getting mm-hmm. ready to use that. But I thought what was interesting is there's a big difference I noticed in the comics. In the comics, Negan has his blood all over the weapons, and he specifically says, we're going to go in there and we're going to kill every last one of them. And yeah. then in the show, it's more... Don't kill any of them, just wound them. They will turn on their own, but we don't want to make it this bloodbath necessarily. We're trying to still, quote-unquote, save them as he does. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I noticed, in some ways, it's like comic book Negan has actually been split between Negan and Simon. I feel like we see in Simon some of the things that you see in Negan in the comic. Yeah. And Jeffrey Dean Morgan's Negan is somehow just a little bit tamer in some respects. Like you say, the saving thing is coming through really strongly and the idea that we just teach them a lesson. Um, But as Simon says, they don't scare, so to what end? Yeah. (laughs) Um, For me, the first thing that sprung out was when Rick arrived at Hilltop um, and was standing making kind of bro eye contact with Daryl. Daryl was right in front of the blacksmith's shed oh yeah and for those who followed carl's comic book journey uh, carl ends up being an apprentice at that blacksmith shed so i thought that's quite a nice i'm assuming on purpose nod to what could have been in terms of carl's uh, trajectory i mean i'm assuming daryl is too old to take up an apprenticeship at the blacksmith but i don't know maybe that's what we're going to see in the next season yeah i've seen um, some little speculations that people are saying you know maybe henry's going to take some of that or even enid would take some of that kind of storyline i'm still yeah. not sure how i feel about either of those enid probably i'm okay with more just because we've kind of grown to know her a little bit better yeah I was thinking that today uh, when I was watching it, just that she's grown a lot from the fur girl we first met in season five. And it would make sense in terms of her age and stage for her to take over some of that trajectory from Carl. So yeah, I'm with you on that one for sure. Yeah. The other thing I noticed, and it's just a small thing, is that the march to Hilltop, or the rather the um, kind of movement of the saviors towards Hilltop, is going about right timing wise um negan says in the comics we attack at sundown and it looked to me like this is taking place over the space of one day and they're moving towards the end of that day with the attack coming presumably quite soon after yeah um anything else from your perspective yeah just the smallest little things uh go for it maggie in the comic books at this point is dealing with the exact same problems where everybody from the other communities has moved in and now she is really low on food. It's the same thing. She's having a conversation with, uh, what is it, Brianna in the comics where they're like, yes. we don't have enough food for all of these people or our kids going to have to start like fighting for their food. And <laughs> Yeah. So that's the same problem. And then they did uh, have Rosita up on the, the perch looking out when she was talking with Maggie and Rosita is also keeping watch right before the, Savior's attack in the comics as well. Just a little thing. Yes. <laughs> no, it's good though. It's these little details that kind of bring it together and make it what it is in terms of its faithfulness to the comic. I think that's really important. And especially that comment about Maggie as well, because yeah, she's commenting in the comic. She makes a comment to Rick about the Kingdomers having brought food with them and it's still not being quite enough. So it's, yeah, very, very similar situation. Um, I guess there's a big thing this week. Um, 
Do you want to start talking about what this big thing may or may not be? What do you think? Sure. Um, everybody, just so you know, if you are not caught up on the comics or <laughs> don't want to be spoiled on things, this is where we get into some speculation. So it's going to be pretty crazy. And uh, who knows where this stuff will go, but here's what's going on currently in the comics. So Georgie mm-hmm. and her her crew, her two people, Hilda and Midge, remember their names mm-hmm. around there, which they're very comi- comic booky characters in themselves, even though they're not necessarily from the books, at least those names. Exactly. But they had a really big comic y feel to them. It felt like when Abraham and Rosita and Eugene walked in, yeah, that kind exactly. of. Oh, oh. <laughs> it was like, these are some characters. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of speculation. I even I had the same thought. Well, originally, when I saw the big vehicle pull up, I was thinking about Magna. And that crew. Oh. I was wondering if they were happening to bring them in before the time jump and all that. It was like, are they doing it now already? Yeah. And then when the kind of vehicle opened and the girls stepped out, it's was like, oh, my God, they're doing it. But then Georgie stepped out with this, you know, shorter hair, nice suit, mm-hmm. older kind of woman. And I immediately jumped to the current storyline in the comics that's happening right now which is our new Commonwealth governor, Pamela Milton. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We don't, we've not seen a huge amount of Pamela yet. She's been introduced a couple of issues ago. We are in a similar situation in the comic where our group, part of our group have been taken to this new community and they're at that stage of, is all as good as it seems. And there's been some quite emotional stuff for some of the characters without giving away too much. And Pamela is very much at the head of the Commonwealth, which she describes as being over 50,000 people united in civilization. So she's very authoritarian in a kind of educated way and speaks primarily to Michonne in the comics. Looking at her on the page, in terms of her appearance, the suit is there, the short hair is there, the manner is there. Mm-hmm. Another part of me thinks they're setting Georgie up as being this person who's kind of nomadic and goes from place to place. Then another part of me is thinking, but they had that helicopter a few episodes back, so is Georgie more than she seems? Is this a case of they pretend to be this kind of nomadic satellite, or is it something bigger than that? Is it the Commonwealth? I don't know. I can't decide. And then so I'm starting to wonder, like, it seems way too early to bring that story in because they haven't done the whispers. They haven't done uh-huh. a lot of things. But then I've seen some people starting to wonder, maybe this is the way of the show actually choosing to start wrapping things up and wanting to end at a sooner yes. date and try to catch up with the books and then call it a day on the, you know, mothership yeah. show. <laughs> Well, part of me started questioning when I saw Georgie. I mean, will we have a time jump? Because this sounds weird, but without Carl, the point of a time jump to me kind of disappears a little bit because we've seen it as a like fake future or a dream. But without that kind of time jump, which sort of allowed Carl to go off and pursue, you know, a sex life and things like that. Sorry, guys. Spoiler alert. Carl gets laid in the comics um, at an appropriate age. Um, <laughs> it, 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 you do wonder, you know, do we need that time jump? Given that Negan is the Negan we're seeing on screen, do we need those two years of development 
off camera for us to believe the bits that come next. So yeah, part of me is quite taken with the thought that this could be the Commonwealth and we could be starting to wrap up here. So yeah, yeah, I'm intrigued to see where it goes. Another part of me wondered, and I'd be interested in your thoughts, is what if she just disappears at this point and then comes back in about a season? What if this is just the seeds for something later? Or do we think that she'll be back sooner than that? Uh, it wouldn't be the first time they've done something like that, where just kind of yeah. tease something and then hold it off forever. And mm-hmm. I would I would not be opposed to them doing that. It's I like having yeah. questions that aren't answered right away. It's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, I I have to say... It- this episode, the first watch, I mean, you you guys will have heard me blabbering on about this to Jason um, already. I think the second watch gave me a really much broader appreciation of it and the unease I felt with the introduction of Georgie and her, her two henchwomen um, actually went away somewhat. I think it's quite an interesting tack for the show to take and I'm intrigued to see where it goes, whether she's Pamela or whether she's not. But I think the signs are there. I'm I'm kind of with you on that. I think that the signs are there. Gimple, I believe, is denying everything, but Uh, he always does. (laughs) (laughs) So you've spoken a little bit about it, but just to kind of wrap up, where do you think we're going next in terms of the comics and the show? Well, um, if they stick to the comic side of things, I think next week is prime time for the attack on the hilltop, just like Mm -hmm. it happens in the book. They might play around with some different stuff, but... That's what I kind of see happening is next week is just going to be when the saviors without Negan. Yeah, that we should have mentioned that actually. Yeah, wild card. Negan's not going to be leading the assault yeah, unless Simon something is. changes. Yeah. So that's going to be interesting. So maybe he will decide to kind of go back more to the comic style and just start slaughtering people as much as they can. Yeah. That sounds like it might happen, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, Pete, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you. Thank you for uh, catching up with me at this slightly awkward sort of dinner time, your time, late time in Scotland. Um, and I'm glad to be on. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Great. So, uh, Comic Talk listeners, thank you for bearing with us again. Uh, thanks again to Pete for being with us. And we will hopefully have some things to cover with you in the weeks to come. Okay, see you later. Bye. 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 All right, that's our show, episode 300. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you, Lucy. No bother. It's Again, been a pleasure. Extra special bonus-sized 300 this week, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to remind you guys this episode and this podcast is made possible by Patreon supporters, such as Avelina Roshino, who Ooh. have pledged their support at patreon.com slash Jason and Karen. So thank you, Mr. Avelino. Avelino. <laughs> He's a great guy. I interviewed him. We, we do listener chit chat. So if you're part of our Patreon, you can get on a list. And every month or so, I do a 30 minute interview with one Patreon person and then I publish it to the Patreon group. And that's been a lot of fun. This month, I'm doing Mads Thompson, who's from Denmark, and he's a super interesting guy. So I'm looking forward to that. Oh, I need to catch up on those. I really want to hear everyone chatting. It sounds amazing. Yeah, he, it's going to be cool. If you want to give us a call, you can reach us at 650-485-DEAD. That's 650-485-3323. You can email us at brains at podcastica.com. You can find us on the web at facebook.com slash deadcast. And be sure to check out our other shows at podcastica.com.
Yeah, Legion's coming up. That's gonna be good. Ah, I'm so excited! Yeah, can't you're wait. Into it? Yeah, <gasps> too. love it. Absolutely love it. I've not been watching those previews either because I know. No, I think I saw show. a vague thing on Instagram, but I kind of just want to go in fresh. I really loved it last season, so yeah. I'm optimistic. So this year, it's it'll. Oh, I don't know if I've actually announced this yet. Well, here's an announcement. Uh, this <laughs> year for the Legion podcast, it's gonna be me and Rima doing it. Amazing! <laughs> so that'll, be fun. that'll be so good. Yeah. So next episode on this podcast, season eight, episode thirteen. Do not send us astray. That'll be me and my friend Karen co-hosting. Woo! You might have heard of her. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Don't, Don't get, get bit, bit, Karen. Cop it. it. Don't.